Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. This is No Excuses with John Taffer. I'm John Taffer, best-selling author, bar rescue guru, and soon your new best friend. I've got a lot of shit for us to talk about. So stop making excuses and let's get started because this gets real right now. All the way from the studios at Podcast One, here's John Taffer. I am John Taffer. This is my No Excuses podcast, episode number 64. Wow, September 2nd. It's over, buddy. Summer came, summer went. Boy, before we even get going, I want to thank my sponsors, BetDSI and Pluto TV, and remind everyone, don't forget, hit subscribe at Apple Podcasts, go to podcastone.com or the Podcast One app. Do that now so you get your episodes every Tuesday. And I love comments, by the way. If you want to leave us some comments on any of those pages, I'd love to hear what you have to say. If you have new ideas that you'd like us to see infused into the show, I'm into that as well. Uh, uh, We always are interested in doing new things here. No different than Bar Rescue. We like to break format. Breaking format is scary but fun. So I just finished my 185th episode of Bar Rescue. And uh, I'm proud to say there will be official announcements in a couple weeks, but we just agreed to a uh, over 20 episodes for next year, Corey. Wow. So sometime in March or uh, April. Bar Rescue will cross 200 episodes, which starts to put us in a record books. Yeah, that's crazy. Which is blown away to me. And and I read, I didn't know this from any of my sources or from the network, but I read somewhere that Bar Rescue has now surpassed a half a billion dollars in revenue. Jeez. Now, nine years, and and think of how many hours a week it's on TV with the marathons and stuff, but still, that's with a B, man. Yeah, you don't think billion when you think TV shows, at least. You don't. But then again, that's why those TV shows are there, aren't they? Right. No money, no TV. Okay, there's some good ones here. But before we even get going into this show, because I've got a great show. I have a friend of mine, Art Sutley, here today, who's the editor of Bar Business Magazine. So we're going to talk about everything going on in the bar business, all sorts of trends and, and all of that today. But before we get going, I have to recognize our governmental acts and the fact that in a busy day of managing our government, Fixing our health care, managing our infrastructure, managing military and defense systems, geopolitical interrelationships. Our government still found the time to make today National Blueberry Popsicle Day. Now, when was the last time you saw a blueberry popsicle? I don't think I ever have. I've never seen a blueberry popsicle. So right out of the gate... This is complete congressional BS. (laughs) I'm not even sure I could find the blueberry popsicle. So they created a day for something nobody liked. Sounds like them, doesn't it? Yeah. That they didn't buy. Yeah. That wasn't successful. Right. But they went through this entire process. And interestingly, the same day, September 2nd, is National VJ Day. And, of course, Labor Day. So I find it interesting that Labor Day and Blueberry Popsicle Day share the same day. How about this? On September 3rd, it's U.S. Bowling League Day. Okay. And if you don't like that, you know what else it is on September 3rd? 
This one just blows me away. I just can't understand these things. National Another Look Unlimited Day. Yeah. Corey, whatever it is, buddy, you just got to take another look. I guess. And then another look again because you got to look unlimited. (laughs) I mean, who the hell even writes such a thing? September 4th, National Wildlife Day. National Newspaper Carrier Day. National Macadamia Nut Day. Well, somebody from Hawaii probably lobbied for that one. September 5th is National Cheese Pizza Day. You notice they didn't say sausage. Right. Just cheese pizza day. So they want us to have basic pizza. What they did is every pizza restaurant in America wants you to upgrade your pizza. Right, Corey? Yeah. So they want you to put pepperoni on there, correct? Correct. Yeah. Do they want you to put meatballs on there? <laughs> you know what they should do is just change it to El Presidente Day. So they should probably do something <laughs> like that. But I just want to raise this point. Every pizza place in the world wants you to put a lot of toppings on your pizza to get the price up. Right, Corey? Right. So they want you to order peppers, right? Yeah. Meatballs? Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, sausage? Yeah. Pepperoni? Oh, yeah. So, so they good. want ham? Oh, yeah. Pineapple? Oh, uh, maybe maybe not pineapple. Okay, but they want you to put everything <laughs> on a pizza. They want you to buy the most expensive pizza you could possibly buy. Yeah. So in theory, the last pizza in the world... That the pizza place wants you to buy is the cheapest one of all, the basic cheese pizza. Fair? Oh, yeah, fair. So what does our Congress do? Which pizza do they choose? The cheap pizza. The cheapest pizza. So if everybody in America ordered a basic cheese pizza today, rather than putting all the toppings on them that they would want, we would experience a revenue crash in the pizza business because of this act of Congress. I know I'm being a freaking <laughs> nutcase here, but there is a logic to what I'm saying. Yeah. So... You cannot upgrade your pizza this week. (laughs) Dang it. National Tailgating Day is the first Saturday in September. World Beard Day is the first Saturday in September. So World Beard Day is an international collaboration. That wasn't just a national day. That was so important that the entire world got involved in that. National Pet Memorial Day. National Hug Your Hound Day. And... We wind it up with National Grandparents Day Sunday of this weekend. Oh. Those are our governmental inspirations for the week. So, you know, when we take a look at what's really going on in the bar business, and look, this is my world, guys. I live in this world. You know, beer is way down in sales. The beer industry is getting killed right now. There's probably only two brands in America of beer, other than small, you know, tiny little ones that if they increase their sales by 100 cases, it's an increase. But... The, Regarding large national brands, there's only two brands of beer that will have growth in sales this year, and both of them are Mexican. So virtually every domestic and every other national beer brand is suffering a really significant decline in sales this year. In some cases, it'll be 5, 6, 7, 8%. So the beer industry is in crisis. The spirits industry, on the other hand, Corey, is starting to come around. Yeah. And, and uh, premium spirits are doing well. And millennials are very into relevancy and image. Right, Corey? Yep. You like to be seen with nice stuff, not not, not crappy stuff. Yeah. So people that are your age group are, are ordering, you know, nice whiskeys and nice scotches. And, you know, people are feeding their egos. So premium spirits are actually doing pretty well. Vodkas and whiskeys are doing pretty well. Wine is doing pretty well. So the real problem right now is beer, and it's completely falling apart. And then we take a look at how priorities are changing in the nightclub business. For, for example, 64% of Americans will leave a bar or club if it's too crowded. 
I can agree with that. But, Corey, years ago, that wasn't the case. You went to the clubs that were too crowded. Right, yeah, I can see that. But today, people have negative thoughts. They think about fires, right? They think about terrorism. They think about where are the emergency exits. When we went to nightclubs and when we were young, there was none of those thoughts. But here are the top reasons people would leave a bar in favor of a different venue. A line outside the bar, 54% of people would leave. Music that's too loud, 50% of people would leave. Ten minutes or more, wait for a drink, 39% of people would leave. No food on the menu, 34% of people would leave. It's interesting to read this stuff in an article because I've been saying this on Bar Rescue for for 10 years. Uh, Over a third of Americans are more likely to go to a bar or club that is recommended to them by friends, which means you don't go to bars as a result of advertising, do you, Corey? Yeah, I guess not. Think about it. And think of traveling. You travel to another city. You land in, let's say, Miami, Corey. Okay. You don't know where you're going to go tonight. Are you going to listen to a radio ad and choose where to go that way? Probably not, no. Are you going to pull out a print ad and choose how to go that way? No. You're going to ask somebody, aren't you? Yeah. So if you check into the hotel and a guy behind the desk is your age and he looks pretty cool, you could ask him, hey, where's a great place to go tonight? My yeah, point is this. Word of mouth is everything. And the statistics show. 32% are more likely to choose a bar club that have already been to over a new venue. And I preach these things. If frequency, getting a customer to come more often is what's critical. There's only three things in marketing, folks. No matter what business you're in, there's only three elements to marketing. One, getting new customers. Two, getting them to come more often, frequency. And three, getting them to spend more. That's all we got. I need more new customers, I need them to come more often, and I need them to spend more. That's what we do for a living. So when you think about the fact that 32% of people would rather go to a venue they've already been to, whammo. That's why we push frequency. When an experience is great, really great, people come back. Your greatest asset happens within the four walls of your business. And if within the four walls of your business or your life, as a matter of fact, If you can't do a great job within the four walls of it, there's not a venue, a media plan, a marketing partner, or anyone that can make you successful outside of those four walls. It's got to happen from within. 25% of Americans have more fun at venues that combine activity with food and drink rather than traditional values. Here are the activities that appeal in today's consumer environment. Live performance is like a concert or a comedy show. 30% of people react to that. Movies, I was shocked by this, 15%. Arcade games, like a Dave and Buster's, uh, 9%. Bowling, even 7%. 25% of Americans think that entertainment venues are a great date spot. Now, why go to a nightclub? If you can take a girl out tonight, Corey, you want to talk to her a little bit, right? Yeah, of course. You want to connect. It's pretty hard to do in a loud nightclub with that thump going, right? Yeah, it's the worst. You're screaming in each other's ears. You can say things back and forth, but you're not going to get into a deep conversation that way. Right. So you're not going to leave best friends after three hours in the thumping venue. One in three, 34%, would choose an entertainment venue for a birthday party. So people are reacting to not only entertainment versus not entertainment. Entertainment means a lower energy level. Still fun, still upbeat, but it's not thumping. It's not the high energy level of a dance nightclub. So 49% have chosen an entertainment venue for regular night out with friends, showing the increasingly important role of entertainment 
in a consumer marketplace. So here's the last point, and this is really important for any of us, and I've said this for years, the success of any business comes from its backyard. With the growing popularity of eating and dining and combining it into one experience, what are the main reasons that people go out? 27% proximity to their home. 14% activities other than drinking. 12% a cocktail menu. It almost proves out all the stuff I've been saying on Bar Rescue for years. And this was commissioned by a third-party research organization, 1,248 individuals took part in this, and it was done by YouGov, PLC, who is a research firm. And, you know, nightclub and bar statistics are powerful because they determine which way the industry goes, but they're also indicative of life, right? Big box nightclubs all over the world are closing, England, Europe, United States. Those big, cold venues are shutting down everywhere in favor of smaller, more intimate, warmer kind of venues. But don't you think, Corey, that's sort of the way life is coming? Yeah. You know, aren't you more into a smaller, more intimate situation than oh, that yeah, big, totally. crazy? So bars really track with life. And a lot of people don't know this. The second public building ever built in America was a bar. The first was a church. We had no city halls or hotel meeting rooms or community centers then. All business, marriages, everything happened in those bars. They were called pubs back then. And I've always said that bars and pubs are the heartbeat, the fiber, the soul of America. That's where all of the great political ideas, discussions, it all comes out from socialization, humanization, people interacting with each other. And those are the things that happens in a bar. And the authority in the bar space is Bar Business Magazine. And the editor of Bar Business Magazine is a good friend of mine, Art Sutley. And we've worked together for many years. And I wanted Art to come in, not only to tell his story, but to talk about what is really going on in the bar business. Because there's some massive changes going on. And they're going to affect all of our, not business activities if we're not in the bar business, but it does affect all of our lifestyles and the fiber of everything going on around us. I'll be right back with In the Dark. Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next. Want to talk to John? Email him now at podcast at johntaffer.com. Man, what a great time of year. Beautiful weather and football is right around the corner. And if you're looking to add some excitement, make BetDSI your betting partner. Use BetDSI's live betting platform where you can watch all the events and even bet all the games till the final whistle. And new members get a 100% bonus match using promo code TAFFER101. That's double your money to start winning today. So why would you choose BetDSI? First of all, it's been paying winners for 20 years. It's a top-rated site, and you can use your sports knowledge to make some extra cash this week. It is a really friendly interface. It's got a very cool mobile site, and most important, it's got the fastest payouts in the industry. So BetDSI offers options for everything. You can bet on NFL, NBA, NHL, boxing, and all other major sports, politics, reality TV, esports, virtually everything. So try betting at BetDSI where you can bet on games from start to finish, every play, every minute until the end. And remember, new members get a 100% bonus match using promo code TAFFER101. That's double your money to start winning today. Again, go to BetDSI.com and use promo code TAFFER101 to get this limited-time 100% bonus offer to make some extra cash. Guys, it's only a game till you bet at BetDSI. 
Shut it down! All right, I'm starting to tremble already. The sweat is forming on my brow. <laughs> this is our In the Dark section. So, Corey, have I heard these clips? You have not. Okay, so here's the deal, everybody. Anybody can send an audio clip in asking, saying whatever the hell you want. Corey will pick ones, hopefully ones that embarrass me most. Not that I would really want that, but I sort of want that. And then any of the three that he plays on air, I will send all of those three a signed copy of Don't BS Yourself, my uh, New York Times bestseller book. And yet, why don't we throw in a shut it down button, too? What do you say? All right, let's do it. Let's do both. So if you send an audio clip and we use it on my In the Dark section, you will get a Don't BS Yourself book autographed by yours truly and a shut it down button. Also autographed? Why not? I'll sign freaking everything, Corey. We'll send it all out. So, I'm scared to ask, Corey. You ready to do this? I'm ready, John. Okay, here we go. All right. If you want to look at the screen right there, we have ten random. I'm going to move the mouse around. Okay. So I'm looking. Random. I'm looking at a file, <laughs> and there's ten or so random audio clips, and the cursor is swinging back and forth like it's the spinning ball on Wheel of Fortune. Where it lands, nobody knows. Okay. He's all found right. the landing spot. Let's see hey, we... John, it's Nathan from St. Louis, Missouri here. Big fan of the show, podcast. You're doing great, man. My question for you is about the cannabis industry, in particular the cannabis lounge that you've talked with other callers about. Wouldn't the police just be able to sit on the street outside of one of these places and wait for people to leave, pull you over, and they really can't give you a breathalyzer like they would with alcohol? So. No matter how much you smoke or eat in a place like this, wouldn't you pretty much be going to jail for a DUI? Any input would be appreciated. Thanks, John. Well, I think that's a very good point, Nathan. But the, the fact of the matter is that could happen now with alcohol. And there is no breathalyzer test. They are working on some testing. But, you know, in, in today's environment, that's where I think Uber and Lyft and car services come into play. So, you know, I think people understand that if they're going to go out and they're going to party, that, you know, they do have to deal with transportation as a separate matter. But I think that applies to both. So I hear you loud and clear, and there's going to have to be some test that's applied to cannabis because it can't be arbitrary. You know, you're going to get arrested and the next guy's not uh, because they assume uh, uh, that you're high or there's an odor on your breath or whatever. Drinking and cannabis are similar in that you can do both in a moderate or small amount. And drive just fine. So the point of the matter is at what level, and we know we have blood alcohol levels for alcohol, we have measurements that states, in essence, ratify, whether it's .08 or .10 or whatever a state uses to ratify or absolute zero, there is a defined measurement. So for cannabis to be regulated properly, there has to be a defined measurement. None of us want somebody so stoned out of his mind that he doesn't know where the hell he is driving on the road. Nobody wants that. So what is the measurement and where does that apply? And like blood alcohol level, it adjusts for people's size of their body, how much they've consumed, the time period that they consumed it over. So I'm with you, Nathan. Uh, I think that they need to get these sciences together. But in the interim, I think if somebody opened a cannabis lounge in any city right now, I think it would be packed. And I think that people would be Ubering back and forth just to get there. And then they'd probably stand online once they were there. Good call. Next. Hello. My name is Cecilia Gutierrez. I am the owner of Pixie's Closet in Denver, Colorado. We are a mobile boutique offering upcycle clothing, vintage clothing, and modern thrift. My questions for John are, 
How would you describe the biggest challenges facing your own customers? You know, customers are all looking for something. Uh, uh, there's got to be a payback. So if they're going to give you money, you have to give me one of two things. Either you have to give me relevancy or you have to give me value. You have to give me one of those two things. If you can give me both of them, then that's really cool. So, you know, when I talk to friends like uh, 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 who own hotels here in Las Vegas, some of them have very expensive hotels. You know, their view is that they don't have to lower rates. People buy relevancy, and when you buy relevancy, you'll spend more for it. In other environments, people sell value. The trick is to connect the two. If I can get something from your company that has great value and gives me great relevancy, it's from a designer, it's particularly beautiful, obviously it adds class or it gives me presence, makes me look beautiful. If you can give me that type of relevancy along with value, you've got a formula for success. If you're in a thrift clothing business where you're selling secondhand clothing, you have that very opportunity because people can buy very high quality designer goods from you at value prices. So I think you have to focus on selling both both of those things so that people understand they're not getting just one, they're getting both. Is there any recommendations that you can suggest in attracting more customers? You know, attracting new customers is the first step of any new business. There's three steps. Attracting new customers, creating more frequency from the customers that you have is the second step. And the third step is getting the customers that you have walking in to spend more. So new customers is a whole issue of visibility and relevancy again. If people don't see you, they can't find you. Now, if you're in a mobile business, I'm assuming you have some type of a truck or you're going to fairs, you're going to shows, the color of the vehicle is critical. The branding on the vehicle is critical. The fact that there's an easy message that I can find, go to abc.com, you know, go to jj.com. Uh, there has to be constant branding to create visibility. The visibility that you create has to create importance because when I drive down the street, there are certain billboards and signs and things that I notice because they're more colorful, they attract my eye, or they seem more important. And you look at what you think is more important. You don't look at what you think is less important. So you want to brand your vehicles, brand everything that you possibly can. Make sure that the branding shows importance, has an easy identification, work on building a social following because if you're in a mobile business, people have to know where you are. And that's no different than a food truck telling people where they are each day. Hey there, Mr. John Taffer, a.k.a. Bar Rescue Guru, a.k.a. Speaker for my church on Sunday, because Bar Rescue is my church that I attend every Sunday, <laughs> and I've converted everybody that I know. This is Crystal from Tooele, Utah, and I just had a question for you. Is there anywhere to access all your wonderful cocktail recipes from your mixologist on all your episodes? They always look so good. And I want to always try them, but sometimes they go away on the screen too fast, or I always forget, or something like that. So I was just wondering if there is anywhere that I could go to look up all those recipes that have been on all your episodes. That would be great. Well, I guess that's all. Thanks for doing what you do. Have a good day. Bye. Wow. So... Diageo used to run it on their website. They ran all the recipes. I know that uh, Spike did before we became Paramount. And I know that, that, that we used to run them on another website. But, Corey, I'm not sure if we're running them on those sites anymore. Uh, they're on JohnTafford.com. They are? Oh, sh I didn't even know that. Yeah. See? There we go. There. Guess what, folks? They're on JohnTafford.com. <laughs> so are all of them there, Corey? 
I don't know if all of them are there. There's a good majority. I know uh, Paramount sends them over every now and then. Okay, so so maybe that's something we can follow up. We'll give people an update next week. Let's go check to make sure they're updated, and we'll let everybody know how many are there and they're updated, and we'll post a link to that page on our website on our podcast post. That's it, John. That's all I have for you this week. Oh, I got off easy, buddy. Nobody called me an ass. Nobody insulted me. <laughs> Nobody challenged what I'm wearing or what I'm doing or what I'm saying. So I think I skated through pretty easily. We got to give away three books. Yeah. So I wish people would send me the the uh, audio clips that would uh, uh, sort of not embarrass me but challenge me a little. Who doesn't like what, what, something about Bar Rescue? Who wants to call it fake? Who wants to challenge those kind of things? I'd love to talk to you. I'll not only talk to you, I'll send you an autographed copy of Don't BS Yourself. But that's in the dark for this week. And with that, I'll be right back with Art Sutton. Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next. Boy, Corey, to get your TV today, how many subscriptions do you have to have? Oh, man, way too many. It's ridiculous between the Hulos and the Netflix and cable and then satellite delivery services and HBO. By the time you're done, you have 20, 30 subscriptions, and you're paying everybody just to watch TV. Pluto TV is the leading free streaming television service. I want to say it again, free streaming television service. You can watch over 100 TV channels and thousands of movies on demand, all completely free. No credit card needed, no sign-up. Pluto TV is the easy and completely legal way to watch your favorite TV shows and hit movies. What are you waiting for? Never pay for TV again. Download Pluto TV for free on all your favorite devices today. Are you a reality TV fan? Well, if you are, you can get your fix with Rob's sister Nino on Rob Has a Podcast here on Podcast One. Join two-time Survivor as he talks to some of the biggest names in reality TV and covers the hottest competition shows like Survivor, Amazing Race, Big Brother, and more. Download new episodes of Rob Has a Podcast every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Taffer's back. This is No Excuses with John Taffer. You know, it's always fun to have a friend on a podcast. Right? You and I have known each other, what, 10 years? Yeah. Art Sutley is the editor of Bar Business Magazine. Yep. And years ago, you and I were competitors. Yep. I was I launched probably about 12 years ago. So when you launched Bar Business Magazine, I was running the nightclub and bar. Correct. We had our own magazine. Yep. And back then, I used to view you. It's funny how business changes. I used to view you as a competitor. So remember, I didn't let you guys come to the show? I do remember that. I actually remember let... that conversation very well. <laughs> and, and I said, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to share my audience with, not, with Bar Business Magazine. Yeah. I'm not coming Bar. So, so, so uh, over the years, the B2B magazine business was tough. Yeah. And could you get what percentage of B2B magazines do you think uh, hard magazines are gone? Probably 60, 70 percent? A lot of them. You, the ones who stayed in the real hardcore niches and did the right job with content were able to survive. Yeah. Um, you, you don't have those five competitors in an industry anymore. You really have to control it and be one of two guys. Yeah, it's the truth. It's a tough business. You know, so many people want to get into content today and think the content business is, is easy. You've been doing this for 12 years. You've got a great brand, and, and it's still a fight. Agreed. To keep engagement and, and keep people's eyeballs all the time. Well, you have to... It's an evolution, right? So you can't look at it just like a print magazine. We have to be something so much more than that. And that's how I kind of position myself as 
you know, a hospitality person in the industry. I'm not just a publisher. I'm out there in Wall Street Journal, in other magazines, talking about trends. And I think that's the difference. If you just sit there and try to say, I have a magazine and I'm a publisher, you're dead in the water. I completely agree with you. So when we were, quote, competitors, and I didn't <laughs> let you come to the show and stuff, at some point, NCB got to a point where you know I said, you know what, let's open this up to competitors. And then we completely changed the relationship. You started coming to the show, promoting sure. the show, and that's still the relationship that you have. I always thought that was an interesting thing, and I always look back at those years, and I think to myself, boy, if you sell widgets and you have a dinner party, do you want to invite your competitor who sells as many widgets as you do? <laughs> so the question becomes, do you want to invite that widget guy to meet your friends? <laughs> and wow, maybe not. And that was the way we did it back then. But then at some point I realized, wait a minute, I want to invite that other widget guy because I want to meet his friends. He can meet my friends. And, you know, if his friends like spending more time with him than me, shame on me. <laughs> and things started to change. Yeah, I remember that call very, very well. Yeah. And I was surprised. They said, oh, John Taffer wants to talk to you. I'm like, what did I do now? <laughs> I'm thinking I haven't gone to the show I'm just doing my own thing over here, trying to have the best magazine in the industry. And then after that, agreed. It was instantaneous. We knew where we were going to take this, and we could work together yeah. to do some amazing things. And we became great media partners. Absolutely. So, you know, I've been making my bar rescue. I'm, I'm now, uh, this week, I'm shooting in Albuquerque right now. I'm in the middle, actually, and I came home for a day. And they're remodeling right now as we speak, so I'll do a reveal tomorrow. 184 of those suckers. Can you believe it, Arm? And I, you remember the beginning. I, it's, you're just on track. I mean, you're going over 200. We are, yeah. So the network just signed 28 more for next year, so we'll hit ah, 200 around Congratulations. That's, that's unbelievable. Yeah, it's incredible. So Well-deserved, too. Well-deserved. Uh, thank you, buddy. But you know me from before TV. So, you know, you and I have been in this business for a long time. What trends do you see? Let's talk bars for a couple sure. minutes. First of all, I, I had to do this, and I don't do this often. Bernard and I have a couple of Bloody Marys in our hands. Cheers, buddy. Cheers. And uh, this is Taffer Mixologist Bloody Mary Mix. And I'm so proud of this stuff. I've never done this on a podcast before. I've never had a guest drink my product. But you being in a business, being my buddy, knowing each other so long, I had to share my Taffer Mixologist Bloody Mary Mix with you. Now I'm going to put you in a corner. What do you think? All right. Let's give it a taste. It's good. I like that back-end spice a little bit. This is, this is a smart product. Thank you, buddy. I've worked really hard on it, but I felt that it would be appropriate that you and I had a Bloody Mary. While no, we plus, I love Bloody Mary, especially a good one. So yeah. this, this falls into that category. Well, I'm proud of this. This baby's got some kick, and this is my Taffer Mixologist product, which a lot of you know is in Walmart now. 4,478 stores. That's a first for me, Art. And to think that I'm selling thousands of bottles a day of this stuff is, is remarkable. So th last week, I went to a Walmart. I said, I'm going to sign some labels just for fun. So I signed some labels. Corey was there, my producer. We shot it on video. And, and uh, it was freaking hysterical. People coming up to us, they wanted the product. People went into the store to try to look for the signed labels and stuff. I've never had so much fun with something. You know, and it's almost when you make a new issue of a magazine. And, you know, you're proud of everyone. I know you are. Yeah. Uh, uh, but there's a particular one or two every once in a while that you get this emotional gratification yeah. from. You know which of those are? Those are the blood, sweat, and tear ones. Those are the ones that were the hardest to get out. But yeah. when they come out, you're like, all right, that was a home run. Now I'm proud of this. This is, this is pretty amazing. You know, Funny Bar rescues that way. 
the greatest episodes and the most unpleasant yeah. to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, the one you put me on was, was pretty the, wild, the, too. Yeah. <laughs> you were there. Art has done recon on a bar rescue. Got to hang out on set. Was that interesting? Oh, I loved it. Was I mean, it, it, was, it was interesting to see because we've talked about it before. Yeah. And I did visit a set a few years back, which was in Portland. Lisa Marie was, yes. was the bartender. I was just showing up. That for the rock re- bar. Yes. I was, it was just the reveal. And it was really funny. I was just sitting at the bar and, you know, going through the drinks. And, you know, no one's really supposed – you're doing your thing. No one's supposed to really interact right. with you except the staff. Well, you stopped and you were like, hey, Art, how is it? And everyone around next to me was like, wait a minute. Are you on the show? Are you a hidden plant? I'm like, no, I'm just a friend. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just coming to hang out. So I got to see the end. And then to be on it from beginning and then coming in for the reveal, it was amazing. I mean, it, it's, I see how many hours that you put in and your staff puts in. It's, it's pretty it's, – it's daunting when you first look at it on paper. You're like, when do, when do people sleep here? Yeah, it's amazing. So my remodel crew, we started last night. I did stress test last night. So I spent time with them, finish all the design elements and stuff. I flew home last night. Uh, all day I'm getting texts of the logo to sign off on and all right. the final furnishings and all that. So they started remodeling last night about 11. They'll work all night. They'll work all day today. They'll work all night tonight. And then tomorrow at about 7 o'clock, tomorrow night, I'll, I'll do the reveal. And it's it's uh, an amazing team. But it's no different than your team when you're on a deadline and you've sure. got to do something. And, and you know, the, the, the sacrifice becomes a choice. You get two or three things, good, fast, and cheap. Right. You can get it good and fast, but then it isn't cheap. You can get it good and cheap, but then it isn't fast. <laughs> and whatever the third one is, it's that too. But but your business is that way too. You yeah. can't rush good content. No, and, and in between trade shows, I'm, I'm doing 22 trade shows a year where I'm either speaking at, appearing at, having the magazine at, but I'm at all of them. And that's part of the contract with these associations. So yeah. I'm doing that traveling while running a magazine while also, you know, meeting with bar owner and operators after hours that are close friends that are asking me questions about the industry. So there's, I wish I always had more time during the day, but you can never sacrifice quality. I'll never put a magazine out that I'm not proud of or a cover that I'm not, I mean, I love my art department. I have sent back covers and I'm like, you know, it's just missing something. Mm -hmm. And it probably the reader would think it was a great cover, but my problem is, is I'm looking at a couple of them. Right, and still, I won't let that sacrifice it. Yeah. If the if the they don't see the other two covers, and they might think this one's great. No, if I don't think it's top notch, doesn't go out. Well, your name's on the cover, so to speak. Yeah, it yeah. is. It means your image. What are the trends you see now in the bar business? So, what I'm seeing right now with this type of drinker, well, the first thing is is bars are all elevated, yeah. which is great, and the customer is elevated behind it, which yep. is so cool. Yep. Because sometimes that doesn't happen. The bar is yeah. trying to pitch one thing, and the customer's like, "Yeah, I'm not ready to go to that level." Yep. You know, I sit in a bar now and I hear customers talking to the bartenders and sometimes I think they might be industry mm-hmm. and they're not. They're just customers that are very enthusiastic about history, about the spirit, the type of drink, mm-hmm. um, the bar that we're in. So I see that trend that everybody's growing. But when it comes down to like types of drinks, I'm, I'm seeing lower ABV mm-hmm. being a little bit higher because mm-hmm. I think the new modern drinker wants to also participate in daytime drinking and then mm-hmm. also nighttime imbibing. Mm-hmm. And the only way to do that is to do more kind of like session beer or low ABV drinks. Yep. Um, you know, obviously, you know, we've talked before. I mean, the cider, uh, the seltzer business, the uh, spike seltzer business is through the roof. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we're seeing these trends from these these new, not millennials, but younger drinkers that are that want to be do some daytime drinking. You know what I find? That I, this is more of a sociological statement that relates to bars, too. And you know I study bar behavior big time. I'm almost a nutcase about it. 
millennials today and younger people today and even guys like you and I today mm-hmm. who, who don't quite fit into that category, we survive today with this concept of instant gratification and relevancy. And I've said this before on this podcast, but if you woke up this morning and took the worst picture of yourself in the worst outfit you have with your hair a mess, unshaven, I mean, this is the the worst picture you've ever taken in your life. Yeah. If you posted it, Art, within minutes, somebody is going to say, looking great, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you're going to get all this complete bull yeah. of you know gratification and relevancy yeah. and right. all that. And it's bullshit. Because, in fact, it's a lousy picture of you, and you're looking the worst you've ever looked in your life. So now what happens is we post something, we say something, we do something, we get instant relevancy. Now, when I go to a bar, if I want to be relevant, i got to know something. So I got to talk about a product. Oh, you know, this was this was created by the Sutley family in, in <laughs> 1497. And right. so now I'm relevant. Right. Right. I'm cool. I know enough to, to get myself in trouble probably. But but suddenly I know everything there is to know about the Sutley family because I drink Sutley beer and, right. and it makes me relevant. Right. And what I find in bars today and in so many business environments is everybody is more self-serving than ever before. You see, I don't go to a store to support the store. I go to the store to support my own relevancy. We used to have loyalty to brands. Sure. We used to have loyalty to stores. Think about all the people that walk past McDonald's to go to Shake Shack. Think of all the people that walk past the Budweiser's, the Miller's, all these legacy brands. I know. Are. It's tough for them. You and I grew up yeah. with these brands. Yep. When you and I were younger, we migrated towards those brands. Right, They were in our soul. We grew up with them, so to speak. Today, that connection means nothing. No, especially if it was your parents' brand, there's a total disconnect. They actually almost want to go away from that. And that was what I saw my grandfather or my father or anybody else in my family drinking or or a product that they had. It meant something to me as a kid as I elevated and grew up. Me too. Totally different ballgame right now. They, matter of fact, want to turn their back on that and say, I need to find a new product that's different that nobody else knows about that gives me relevancy to know it. And that's, that's their elevation in their yeah. brand. And you and I are exactly alike. My, gr- my father drank Crown Royal. Mm-hmm. And every night he'd have himself about an ounce sure. of Crown Royal, and he'd sip it in his rock list. So the first alcohol I ever drank was Crown, Crown Royal. Royal. And that was the way you and I grew up yeah. now. So when you think about it, because this generation is resistant to the past almost, it puts every legacy brand at yeah. risk, doesn't it? And you think about the Tangerays today, and I don't get any trouble from my sponsors, but you think of the Tangerays today that can sit on that bar. Every bar has got to have Tangeray. Sure. You can't have a bar without Tangeray. Right. But you're not picking up that green bottle 100 times a day anymore. No. They're starting to get dust on the shoulder, some of those they brands. Are. Yeah. So, so the challenge in our industry is selling legacy brands. And I find that fascinating. And then I look at how beer is down so much and craft beer numbers are down sure. so much. I read an interesting report the other day. I think you'll find this fascinating. And it was from a big banking equity group. Pay a lot of money for this kind of data. And they were talking about the word craft. And according to their you know, multi-million dollar global research, the word craft put in front of a beer reduces the potential sales of that product by 3% today. Interesting. You put the word craft in front of vodka, it increases market potential by 4%. You put the word craft in front of whiskey, it increases it by 7 So I think the beer industry sort of screwed themselves right. 
by saying craft, craft, craft. Not all of them were so crafty, were they? No, no not at all. <laughs> so, so I think about 50% of them sort of suck, to tell you the truth. You know, they're, they're, they're not necessarily the best beers in the world. No, and I think they, they all blitzed the market. And I think there was too much on the market at too much at the same time. And at the same time, the drinker was starting to change. And I think that that part of the industry got really hurt. I think so, too. So when we take a look at all of these trends and the word craft and how all this means, at the end of the day, you nailed it, buddy. It comes down to this self-relevancy. And if I'm going to drink a Bloody Mary mix, if I hate Taffer, if I think Taffer's, you know, the, the low class, then there's no way in the world I will drink Taffer's product, no matter how good it is. Exactly. Could be the world's greatest reviewed Bloody Mary mix. You ain't touching it. Nope. On the other hand, if you love Taffer, <laughs> you'll drink that Bloody Mary mix even if it's just so-so. Yeah. So, you know, my view is make it great, attach my brand to it, and see what happens. My point is this. It's so emotional today, Art. Yeah. And brands are so fluid today. How do you manage through that? You run a business where you have to deal with content. You have to have promotions all the time, promotional partners all the time. You have to be able to create new distribution areas to get your content out. Sure. Then you have to manage your advertiser relationships and your budgets. And advertisers today aren't running to advertise in hard magazines. Sure. How do you get through that today? It's a tough dance, isn't it? Yeah, so it's a tough dance. I mean, I think the liquor brands still love print. They still love their big full-page ads. Those beautiful ads. Thank God to all your liquor brands out there yeah. for your full pages. But I think they haven't – but I think the startup has changed. They don't want to jump into print first, so we have to grow them. So we'll do things like maybe make a video with them or we'll do some emails for them. So a lot of the digital marketing aspect. Um, one of the other things that uh, – my publishing company as a whole has started, and I wish I could take the idea. Is my brother's idea. I wish I could totally steal it, but it was his. We're doing circulation calls. We're signing people up for the magazine. If we don't hear from you in a year, we got to call you. Right. We just don't keep you on the list. Yep. So during that call, we're now having sponsors come in and sponsor four questions after they finish signing up for the magazine. And we're starting uh -huh. to give them industry data back. What type of bar do they have? What type of music are they using in the bar? Is it a jukebox? Is it a DJ? Is it a live band? So we're gathering this data for sponsors and giving it back to them. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're changing. We're evolving. The full-page ad and the ads in the magazine, they're there. And because I go to so many trade shows, they're a must. But you have to have these introductory products because print is, is expensive. Sure the heck is. But, and also with digital, you know your results. You know your click-throughs. It's easy to monitor. But, you know, I used to find when I ran magazines, you do a print ad. You know, when you get the ad printed, they like the ad. Whew, done. Now with digital, how many clicks did they get? How many did they get this week? It's like the pressure's on. Yeah. We've got to deliver now. Yeah, and I sometimes there's no rhyme or reason why an ad just didn't perform. It could have just been that day. I mean, they have a great product, and their results are maybe 25% different than a guy who sent it out three Tuesdays before that. Yeah. And it could be their message. It could have been their subject line. So there's so many more variables on the digital front. Um, so we really have to think through that. And one of the services that we offer is if we see something, we'll tell the client, say, hey, you shouldn't rub that. That subject line, no good. Right. And we're very upfront about that. And if you're going to partner with our magazine, we want to make sure that the success rate is as high as it can be. Of course. Of course. You really look at them as a partner, and you really want to deliver. Yeah, because some of them maybe are coming from a different vertical and have a product that could be applicable to the bar and restaurant industry, and yeah. they're just getting their feet wet in this. They don't know how to talk to the modern-day on-premise owner. 
but we've been doing it for 12 years and we try to insert ourselves into their marketing department just to say, not telling you what to do, but just a gentle tap on the shoulder. I think you should right. reevaluate that. Consider this idea. Correct. <laughs> you have to be very gentle because they're coming to you and they're your, you know, they're my client. Yeah. You don't want to, you know, push them too far. You know, when you go online today, there are services. Sign up for our app and we'll edit all your videos for you, make you look like a pro. Then you click on, there's another service. Podcast One, my podcast network, uh, has a service where anybody, Joe Blow, yeah. can create a podcast. They'll create it with you. They'll work with you. They'll put it out there, blah, blah, blah. So at home, you know, little Joe Blow can make his video, post it, get it online. Little Joe Blow can do his little podcast, right, and produce right. it and edit it and get it online. Little Joe can write his little white papers and get them online yeah. if he wants. And Little Joe can do, you know, Little Joe can write all this content. And Little Joe can get it out on YouTube yep. and Instagram and all of these distribution platforms are out there. When you and I started in this business, there were no distribution platforms. No. It was just content. And how the hell do we get anybody to read Correct. it? Correct. When you think about today's world of content, massive amounts of content out there. Some not worthy of a second of our time. No. Some fake news. Some, yes, a lot. Yeah, fake news. A lot of fake stuff, too. Right. You know, people acting like they're not. People's Facebook pictures are really not their persona at all. I, I actually have a story about that. Did you, have you heard of this company that you can hire as a male or female that they'll put you on a private, you know, private jet? It's parked. They'll put you in expensive cars, and you get all these pictures in different outfits for your Instagram. So you can wow. make your Instagram look a little bit more out there than it truly is. And that's mind-blowing to me because that's straight up not even being you. That's you fake cultivating an audience. That's like the guy on Match.com who puts a picture of himself 30 years yeah. ago. <laughs> what happens when you go out for the date? I mean, what the hell do you say yeah. then? I mean, yeah. how, do you, how do you even respond to that surprise? That's incredible. So, so all I got to do is reposition my Facebook page, hire the right guy, makes me a soccer pro, and suddenly I get a university scholarship. I got the right pictures on my Facebook page. It's I got unbelievable. my scholarship. I got my podcast. I got my YouTube channel. I got all this stuff, and I'm absolutely nobody. Right. And it's all bullshit in the end. Totally. So take the guy who's noble, who's good. How do you get into the content business successfully today? I think you have to, you have to really have an outline of what, in, what content you're going to control. If, you're, if your funnel is really wide, you're not going to go very far. You have to control a niche, and that's what we did. You know, we, I took a how-to approach from another magazine that was very successful that I was overseeing and said, okay, let's apply that same how-to direction to the restaurant and bar industry. So we weren't a magazine that was talking about celebrities coming to a nightclub. I mean, that's just a general interest piece to mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. To the average bar owner in the U.S., they're like, I'm not going to pay $50,000, right. $60,000 to have a celebrity come into my place. So we controlled the stories by removing, breaking them down a little bit lower for them to understand how to do things like this. And, and a how-to approach, not just talking about the glam and the glitz. And we were going into things like, you know how hard it is to make a POS story mm -hmm. look sexy compared to, right. yeah, compared to a cocktail story? But I didn't let that, you know, I wasn't afraid of that. I was like, if it doesn't look sexy but the content is amazing and it helps somebody choose the right POS system, then that's a great story to me. It is. At the end of the day, it's engagement, but you raise a really interesting point. And so many people say, how do I start? How do I do this? I want to be in this business. And it could be a chef. It could be a mixologist. It could be a, a, 
or somebody involved in anything that, that interests them. You have to have a narrow focus. Yeah. You almost have to format yourself a little bit, if you will. And, you know, I've learned when I give seminars, and you've been in my speeches over the years and stuff, and whether I write something or do something, and I've written for you yeah. over the years, that, that uh, what's the takeaway? You know, when I'm finished reading this thing, do I feel like an idiot for wasting my three minutes reading <laughs> it? Did I really get yeah. something out of it? You know, how did it help me? Right. Did it make me smarter? Did it make me cooler? You know, did it make me more aware? You know, how do I win by sure. this? So when you apply your how-to mentality... That's where the wind comes out. Yeah. So if I read this content, I leave with the knowledge and an ability of how to. Right. And it's usually revenue. I want it to end with revenue. That's If we keep that, I keep that written on a board in my office. Every story should end with the person saying, I just understood how to apply this product to my business to make more revenue. Yeah. And if you take every story approach to that, you will stay within that laser focus. And as you keep growing, then you can start opening your funnel more because you've built a foundation. I think a lot of people fail because... They're casting a net. It's just way too wide. Right, right. You know, and so it's interesting. I was talking about this with a friend the other night. Sequential programming is what we are in the business of, meaning the programming of the content that I read of yours this week better inspire me to read more next week. Correct. Or we're screwed. So it's sequential. Whether it's sequential in podcasts, I need you each week. Sequential in TV, I need you each week. Sequential in a product purchase, I want you to buy it every week. Or sequential in your magazine, I want you to make sure that you not only get it every month, but you read it every month and right. it doesn't sit on your desk because that doesn't serve anybody well. So sequential programming or content needs to be predictable, meaning I know there's going to be a benefit for me right. if I come back next week. But yet it's got to be individual and unique so the challenge for sequential programming for all of us is how do i make something that's predictable next week but different right and they conflict with each other if it's too different then as you say art it's all over the place there's no predictability you're not coming back it's a mess right if it's too predictable it's boring as hell you've heard this before right. you're not coming back and they pass over you so how do i make it predictably new yeah, and I think it's, it's a rotation of um, topics that we put in there. So I never wanted just to be a cocktail magazine. I also didn't want to be a magazine that had 50 things in it. But I always said if we can get a rotation of 10 topics in an issue, there's always something in there for one of my readers. Maybe he's not re looking at doing his cocktail list right now, but maybe he's looking at furniture. So I better have something that's interior design related in there. Mm -hmm. So it was really harnessing that and having to revisit these stories and really put a different spin on it each time. And that's really hunkering down and knowing what the trends are. Hmm. If you know the trends, then we can, you know, listen, we've talked about furniture, POS, and we've been talking about this stuff for five years. The industry is elevating, but we always have to present the information differently. And when there's something new in there, make sure it's in there. Because once it looks like a redo story or somebody just, you know, phones in and it looks like a story that was penned and it was like, oh, I kind of read something like that from those guys mm -hmm. two years ago. That's it. That reader is gone. Hmm. I think that we're entering a wor world of curated content, meaning that you know, I, I envision that uh, at a period of time from now, I'm going to be able to go to a site like yours, Bar Business, and I'll be able to say, these are the things that interest me. I'm interested in blue wallpaper. I'm interested in country music. I'm interested in table bases that don't wobble, and I can click the eight or ten things that I'm interested in. And then the only times I'll ever hear from you during the next year is as it relates to those specific sure. things. 
Is that a direction that you guys see yourselves going in? Yeah, we've started that. We've started breaking everything down by how-to, by furniture, uh, technology. And now we're slowly starting to build those out. So we're kind of going in that direction where you're, yeah. we were talking about where now somebody can come and say, I only want to just read right now about interior design and that's furniture. It. And that's it. And they go to one category on my website, and every story that we've ever written is right there. Every press release, every f- company that's ever run something in our publication is right at their you know, you know, click of the mouse. So I think, I think you're right. I think that's where it is going. People want to curate and make their own personal experience when it comes to digesting information. And, and getting their, their own curated content, mm-hmm. if you will. I think that's going to change the world, and here's why. Let's go back to widgets. Mm-hmm. Let's say th- 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 that your magazine has a key client selling widgets. So when I went to your website or your e-subscription services, I clicked on widgets. Mm-hmm. But I also went to 12 other magazine sites and clicked on widgets there too. And then I went to online retail companies and I clicked on just widgets there too. So now when I wake up in the morning and I turn on my computer, I've got every price from every widget all over the country. So now what happens is your widget has been diluted right. by everybody else who's got widgets. <laughs> right. So now what happens is we create this inherent competitive environment that now whenever I pull up widget, I'm going to see 10. I'm going to see the cheapest, the best, the different colors. I'm going to see all sure. the different So now I think what happens is this concept of curated content and this is where I get scared of companies, uh, uh, publishing companies, is when they start to curate their content on their own, then they don't need us. <laughs> and that's what I worry about. Right. And what I see, and I'm going to ask you what your comments are on this. So what I see happening is I see companies like Anheuser-Busch wanting a direct relationship with the consumer. They want them signing up to their sites, interacting on their social media, and they don't want publishers to be the intermediaries anymore. They don't want publishers to have those lists. So every one of these companies is investing dollars now in direct relationships. How do you as a publisher overcome those kind of trends? Well, I think when you look at that, I think every consumer wants to know, you know we're a third party, right? We're, we're an independent. So when we're talking about a product, we vetted it. Our editors have talked about it. They've presented stories to me. So I think when you're going direct to a company, they can give you whatever content they want direct from the company. But who at what company would say that they're not the best or this isn't the best product? So I think you always need the media there in between, almost as a stamp of approval to present products. Because we're really a third-party individual who has no vested interest in that company. But we're, we're presenting it in the right way to the consumer. So when we do things like that, and I know from running the magazine myself... I get an ad from a major vodka producer. He says to me, John, I'm going to buy an annual contract with you. I'm going to do 12 ads, two-page ads, back cover, blah, blah, blah. Man, I'm salivating. It's a heck of a contract. But, John, I need an article or two on vodka. That's probably going to happen. Oh, it happens all the time. We know that. All the time. And, of course, that's the other thing that most publishers will tell you never happens. So now we write an article. Well, they're straight up lying. Of course they're straight up lying. So now we write a nice series on vodka. And you, as as a good guy and an honest guy, make it a fair article. It's not all about that vodka, Mm -hmm. it's about older vodkas, younger vodkas, imported vodkas. So you create enough editorial substance 
so that it's a fair article about vodka. Exactly. But you won't not mention a competitive vodka, and you have to do it in an equitable way. But at the end of the day, I wonder, if we didn't write that article, would that advertiser have advertised? Well, so I think, I think you have to – so we always have three people in every – a minimum of three people in every article. Because if you do one just on one company, everyone looks at that and said, whoa, that might be sponsored content. Yep. And you know, we, if there is sponsored content, we make sure we always have it partnered content, sponsored. Um, I have walked away early in my career for some really big contracts that was at the beginning of bar business. And it was, it was scary then because you, I wanted that contract. And I said no. They wanted – to be on the cover, and they wanted a feature story, and they wanted all this stuff. And it's a major, I'm not going to mention the brand, but it's a major, 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 major brewer. But you'll, you'll destroy your magazine if you do that because all Correct. your credibility is gone. So here's my point. Little, remember Joe Blow? Mm-hmm. He was making his podcast. Little Joe now makes a vodka. He's got a few dollars. He makes his vodka. It's a damn good vodka. Wins a couple of gold medals mm-hmm. in California and stuff. Right? He's got a nice bottle, a nice label. He's got a really good vodka. He doesn't have the money for that back page ad with you. So now you come to write your article. And I'm not beating on you, buddy. I'm sure. just talking no, about No, 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 no. Now you've got to write your article. Yeah. You pick three vodkas for that article. Generally, no magazine is going to pick three vodkas that wouldn't potentially advertise because you've got an opportunity to build a relationship with those three brands now. So little Joe's vodka never makes that article. Yeah, that's I, I hate hearing that. You know, and, and so does my staff. But if you look in our pages, it's crazy. We we write about little Joe's vodka. And I know you do. And and, and it's so hard because you are giving up a relationship with somebody who you could actually get revenue now from. But I look at it as there's so many products in our industry that you and I have walked a trade show and said that's a damn good product and it never made it. Because nobody gave that person a voice because somebody else blocked it with revenue. Like, that's like the big guy blocking yeah. all the little guys. Yeah. Um, so you got to do it sometimes. Um, and, and I think that's where I've kind of won. You know, when I go to these trade shows, I'm so approachable to people saying, like, I want to present something to you. And they straight up tell me up front. They're like, yeah. I don't have a budget. And I'm like, whoa, whoa. I don't even know why we're talking about budget yet because you're supposed to present your product to me. I haven't even tasted it yet. Yeah. So you really have to do, you know, it's a dance it's a fine line dance because you can't forget about your big advertisers and you have to always keep track of their trends and what they're doing, but you always have to balance it because if your magazine was always big companies that advertise, I guarantee you people would stop reading my publication in a year. They'd say, I see the same brands. They right. pay art. Of course. There's no value to here to me. And that's the same thing why I've never um, – there have been brands that have said, hey, if you get us into these big places, we'll pay you. And I've backed away from every deal on that. Because the minute I tell a bar owner to put something in his bar and I'm lining my pocket, he'll never believe me again. So how do we come to reason with the lack of trust in media today? And I'm, you know, I'm not getting political per se with right. your stuff, buddy. But I'm saying, so I read this magazine. I see the big ads. I see the big articles. You're exactly right. You're noble. You're well-intended. Right? So you're doing this in the right way. But there's still the filter of advertisers. Yep. Still the filters, you know, of all these things. And advertisers can also, you know, say, I don't want this, and I do want this. And keeping it honest is a fight for you, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a struggle. And what we try to do is we try to talk to the end user. That how, that's how we know we're vetting a product. So if we see, let's say, a great piece of kitchen equipment, and I start speaking to my editorial staff, and I say, okay, guys, um, I really want to see an article you know, for kitchen equipment, I'm seeing some really cool trends with this company. 
let's call this company and we don't want to just interview them. We want to actually talk to some of the end users that are I need to see examples that a medium-sized bar owner is creating great revenue and great food through this piece of equipment. So I think sometimes you need that end users feedback and not always go to the companies because like I said, what company's not gonna say I have the best piece of kitchen equipment in the world? Yeah. Do you think there'll be hardcover magazines? Ten years from now, I get this question all the time, I mean, and, the obvious and one. no, I mean it, it's, you know, we do surveys for specific reasons. I think consumers going to have a tough time. I think people are, you know, consumer publications they're getting consumed in a totally different way. They're getting consumed through Facebook articles, social media. People are getting on e-newsletters. Right. They're reading digital publications. Articles travel on their own and not in the magazine anymore. Correct. Correct. So it, it's it's totally separate. But I think B2B we're finding is I do a survey all the time. Listen, magazines are expensive. The post office, yep. oh, yeah. they shake us down for additional postage all the time. We survey our readers. There is a hardcore group of people within my industries that will never want to see the print magazine go away. Do I know how long that's going to last? I don't know. But it seems right now that B2B is there's – a, there's an opportunity for print because they're educational resources, right? They're, people are putting them in their hand and saying, okay, how can I make more money today? And it gets hard to go to a trade show. How do I hand all this stuff out to people that are new readers? Yeah. So doing as many trade shows as we do and me appearing in so many places, the, the print magazine follows. It, it's a struggle, though. It's, it's a different business. And if you don't watch it, you'll get consumed by it. I bet. I bet it's really a challenge today. So, you know, we created a Taffer Tavern. I don't know if you heard about it. We created Taffer's Tavern. It's a new franchise. We became legal. You know, we filed all our franchise paperwork about a month ago. We've sold Atlanta, Clearwater, Tampa, Long Island, New Jersey, the four boroughs. I was of just going to say, sign me up. You got someone in Jersey yet? <laughs> yeah, it was, it's New Jersey, the four boroughs of Manhattan. Cool. Four boroughs of Manhattan and uh, um, Orange County. And it's interesting that you were talking about it because when we look at the industry, the industry is going to a place of $15 an hour plus. Correct. The industry is going to a place of no labor pool. So even if I pay somebody $18 an hour to try to find somebody to work on my line is not so easy. No. So we're now dealing with an industry where we don't have the labor, and the labor costs is going to go up 50 to 100% higher than we're used to. Tough model. Horrible. It's almost a horrible model that we're running into. It's scary as hell. And what business can sustain a 50% increase in labor cost no. and survive? So we have to raise prices. We have to change it. So we created Tapper Tavern, which is all sous vide cooking. Nice. So sous vide cooking is really high-quality sure. products, you know, cryovac in plastic bags and cooked in water at particular temperatures right. and then finished on grill. So ventless. So you're not it's completely ventless. It's all sous vide. So you take product nine. You put it in oven four. You hit code 21. It's a combi oven. It cooks it. It crisps it. prepares it perfectly. Everything is fresh. Comes out of sous vide kitchens every three days. And if anybody's listening that has never experienced that, the food is good. Oh, it's really so good. So some people start shaking their head because they hear this, and I'm sure there's listeners right now that are like, what are are they talking about this is this is the real it's i have gone to ventless kitchens and what you're talking about and i have had a meal and i'm like this is oh, phenomenal yeah. this is great oh yeah so what we'll do is they'll do something like take a raspberry duck they'll cook it flawlessly uh, really high quality product season it flawlessly and they'll cryovac it in a bag they ship it it's fresh mm -hmm. right and and then you take it if that duck should be served at 160 degrees it's put in a water oven of circulating water at exactly 160 degrees. 
You drop the duck in the water, it stays in the circulator. It can't get burnt. It'll never be 170 degrees, right. Art, right. and it won't be 150 <laughs> degrees. It'll be 100. Right. Now you open up that duck. It's cooked in its own juices. It's delicious. It's cooked at a perfect temperature. You drop it in the oven, you char it, and finish it off, and you have the most perfect duck you've ever had. So sous vide, you're right, is yeah. quality. So what we're trying to model is $1 million in revenue for mm-hmm. every single person in the kitchen. Right, you need less, so there's less people in the kitchen to begin with, so your your overhead is, is down. Bingo. Product lasts twice as long on the yep. shelf because it's wrapped the way it is. So the whole concept of what we're trying to create is to create this premise that the future of food is not chefs. The future of food is technology. Agreed. The chef thing has played its course. I'm not discounting chefs. They make great. But the yeah. fact of the matter is the days of six guys on a cooking line, you know, four bartenders behind the bar, oh, everything tough. from scratch, those days, you know, economically can't possibly survive. Right. Yeah, because the, the only people that are doing those footprints are guys with big money behind them. So what happens to the rest of the industry, which is the larger part of the industry, which is the small to medium-sized business owner? Yeah. And it, if we don't make changes like this, there's not going to be a place for them because it's only going to be these big hospitality companies that are going to be opening up these, these you know, chains and franchises and locations. If there's somebody listening who'd love to be Art Sutley, who says, man, I'd love to run a magazine and, and, you know, and be the face of an industry and have these relationships and be in this content business, how would you tell them to do it? Oh man, a lot of sleepless nights. That's for sure. I mean, would it, you join a publishing company and yeah, learn the so, business? Would you? What, what so, would you recommend? So, I mean, my path was, and this is honest. I'll tell you my my true story. Yeah. Uh, my family was a member of a country club. Okay, I was a caddy. Okay, I was a caddy for the owner of this company, and we started talking. And he was like, "Hey, you need an internship." And uh, meanwhile, you and I have talked about this. Yeah. I was a little bit of a wild child in college, and the you know, and. and you know, I said, oh, I need every chance I can get. So I, I took an internship and I ran with it. And, you know, he gave me a really amazing opportunity. And I am still working for the same publishing company that I started as the intern of. I'm now overseeing multiple publications. So I'm, I'm basically a group publisher, essentially, for, for, the, for the company. And I just put my head down and I just worked. Wow. I just worked and I sold because that is how you stand out. I sold advertising. I went above and beyond. I was sometimes connecting people, customers with advertisers. And instead of just selling an ad and walking away, and it, this is one thing that all my advertisers will tell you to this day, I walk people over to a booth. They come into my booth and they say, Art, a huge fan. I was reading this story. I'm having trouble um, you know, with my draft sales. I need something to get my draft sales up. I'm like, great. You know what? I know a sangria that's a draft sangria that will make you the talk of the town. Let me walk you over to these guys. And I walk them over to that brand. And that is, I think, the difference of, of saying, don't just be a publisher. Don't just be an ad sales guy. Just don't be an editor. Be somebody that makes connections. And actually, you told me this a long time ago. Relationships are key. And if you, if you keep the good ones forever and make sure you don't, you know, listen, I do no bad to anybody. Even mm-hmm. if I don't like their product, I just don't talk about it. Right. I don't ever badmouth anybody. Yeah, nobody says my, a bad word about you. It's not, <laughs> not that I've heard, I guess, right? <laughs> but I think that's what you have to do. You have to be a connector and you have to have relationships. Your black book is what makes you successful. And I've tried to build a really great black book. And it's led me to do things that, I mean, John, I mean, I, going on Bar Rescue was from us knowing each other in the beginning to saying, oh, my God, like now I'm doing recon on, on Bar Rescue or or getting a call from the Wall Street Journal and, and you know, my publicist saying, hey, you know, they want to talk to you about trends. 
that was crazy to me at first. I didn't see originally my path was be the best magazine that I could be. And during that time, I became better and a better, a better relationship with all my you know consumer you know customers and things like that. And that's where it kind of led me down this this amazing path. I mean, it's not easy in publishing. No, it isn't. And you got to take your knocks and walk away. What you did is you got yourself in the middle of the industry. Yep. And well, you helped with that. You helped with that a lot. Oh, thank you, buddy. But, but, you know, you did a great job with this. But uh, I'll tell you, though, when, when you think about the future of bars, where do you think we're going? I think we're going in smaller bars, more neighborhood oh. bars. I think the big mega bars are over. No, I don't see the, I don't see the big club thing. I mean, I mean, we're sitting here in Vegas, and, and, and it, survive, it works here, right? Because people fly in here for that. If, if but you're even not, here, it's not doing what it should. No, they're doing smaller footprints for yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, and they're doing higher price tables and things like that. And, and how many times can you see Tiesto for Christ's sake? I mean, t- I, I, that's why people aren't paying the big money anymore for the, the yeah. big DJs. They've seen Tiesto. And listen, some of those tables are going for $25,000 minimum. Now, if you get a group of guys and you do that once, are you going to go do that again to go see the same DJ? Probably not. So I you know, see, and it's special, but when he's back every Friday, it isn't so special <laughs> No, I know. So I, I see it going to more entertainment, personalized entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just last year I was out uh, at a club here, and everything came to my table. You know, the, the signs and the guys with the light-up drummers came to my table. So it was more personalized mm-hmm. entertainment. I wasn't looking at the DJ anymore. I was looking at what was happening right in front of me, and it was uh-huh. personalized. And this kind of feeds into what we talked about before about them wanting to feel relevant. Customers, yeah. 5,000 people were looking at my table. It's all about you at that moment. Correct. So, yeah. it, it, you know, you know I'm, I'm 39. The people, some people at my table were 25. They were like – they had their cameras out. And someone turned to me and they're like, you're not going to take any pictures of this? And I said, man, I'm just numb to this now, you know? <laughs> it, I'm glad you're having a great time, but that was relevant for them. They were taking pictures of themselves with this. Mm-hmm. Not saying it was my table or somebody else's table. They were there. That's all they cared about. What do you think happens to all these legacy brands? Well, they're having a t- I'm in some meetings with some of the brands. I mean, they are they're nervous. They're terrified. Yeah, because some of the brands that they thought would never go away are really not cool anymore. No. And they're talking about how to revive that. And I don't even know if it's possible. Because I think there's so many good, uh, amazing new brands that are out there that have caught that younger drinker or that new uh, imbiber. Um, it's going to be tough. I think so, too. I mean, listen, my grandfather drank Dewar's. I mean, I don't see anybody order Dewar's anymore. No. When I was young, Dewar's was, was an extremely popular scotch. Yeah. Do you remember the slogan of Dewar's? I can't remember. The scotch that never varies. Oh, yes. Right. You're right. It was, it was the logan to do this. I guess uh, 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 those things don't matter much anymore. No, and I think, I think the bigger um, you know, importers and distillers, they're looking at buying some of these brands to bring them into a portfolio because they've got to yeah. balance it. Because right now they're sitting on a lot of products. You know what worries me? And this is a great note to end on, Art. When you think about people who have no respect for legacy brands – they then not have respect for legacy things. They then start to disrespect previous values, mm-hmm. previous behaviors, previous in, uh, uh, interpretations of what going to work model was, of what a family model would be, of what you know a relationship of a brother. Everything changes. Right. And, and I'm not sure that's bad or good. But what it does is it puts us in such uncharted waters in oh. every way of our lives. Totally. 
because the past doesn't mean as much as it used to. No. Do you find that unsettling? Because I do a little bit. Absolutely. I mean, I guess I'm in that, I guess with my family coming up and how close we are and and, and the way I've been raised, that is completely uncharted territory for me. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm learning it. I'm trying to, you know, understand that. But, man, history to me is kind of what your foundations build on. And and that gives you the, the, the look to the end of the tunnel. Now, if we look down the end of the tunnel, we really don't know what that light is. No. No, it's, it's the truth. And I always say a bar is a snapshot of America, right? The second public building ever built in America was a bar. The right. first was a church. There were no town halls or city halls or meeting rooms, right? Business was done in bars. Right. So bars are a snapshot of America. When you walk into a bar today, uh, uh, loyalty to product is different. Loyalty to all these things are different. And it becomes much more of a eclectic Right, type of a place, which I guess is what America's become. Yeah. Well, look at the front back bar nowadays. It's not the brands that you and I know. No. They're all on the back now. Yeah. And there's all of these new brands in the front because that's what people are pulling. So, in essence, what we're saying is history has really taken a back seat to today. Yeah. I'm not sure that's such a great thing. Are you? No, it's scary to me. Yeah. Listen, buddy, it's been great to have you. Oh, my God, this has been a blast. You're a good friend. Uh, uh, so if you haven't seen Bar Business Magazine, tell everybody where they can find the site. Tell people where they yeah. can find you. Yeah, so um, for social media, Bar Biz Mag. And then for our website, barbizmag.com. Um, if you're in the industry, it's a free subscription. If you're not in the industry and you just like news about what's going on, you can just read on our website. We have a digital magazine as well. All digital products. And you can follow Art Sutley as he travels around the country going from convention oh, to convention, oh pitching about the bar business. You're almost like the, the vagabond of the bar I industry. Know. You Art. know, I need a Taffer time machine to get me around to each of these cities and ah. make life a lot easier, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, buddy. Great to have you. Thank you so much. Want to talk to John? Email him now at podcast at johntaffer.com. Well, it's always fun to have a friend on the podcast because <laughs> when you hang with friends, you don't talk about things like this. Art story is a great one, and what's going on in, in our environment today is exciting for us all. I say this a lot. I'm going to say it again now. If there's something you want to do, do it. Every day you wait, it's less likely that you're going to do it. Art Sutley came out of nowhere. I was the editor of Bar Business Magazine. He's an influencer in his industry. He has no college degree that says bar influencer on it. He just made it happen. Making it happen is what makes our lives happen. When we don't make it happen, our lives don't happen. Art made it happen. Well, that does it for this week, buddy. I am running to the plane. I am flying to Albuquerque. And I'm doing, uh, I lost count, either 184 or 185th bar rescue this week. And when I finish that, I'll come back and I'll talk to you all next week. Take care.